Amen. We want to get into the word of the Lord today. I do want to thank those that helped us during Old Settlers, and I'll say more about that before we dismiss this morning. We'll take some time to show our appreciation, but we do appreciate it. it as Brother Hilton said, it's, it's been three hard days for some of us. Um, really more than that, a lot of time and effort went into it. I do believe it has paid off and will continue to do so. We appreciate your participation. We are going to the book of James today, James chapter 1, and we're going to read one verse of scripture there, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll read one verse of scripture there. James chapter 1 and verse number 12, James 1 and 12, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the Apostle Paul writing, says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And so today we continue on in our series, Living in Truth, what was designed to originally be a new converts course. Uh, but we've kind of expanded and broadened it to um, not just new converts, but old converts and everybody in between. And um, I'm one of those old converts, so don't anybody take offense. Um, um, I'm thankful for amount of time God's allowed me to be on earth and so I'm not ashamed of my age I'm not embarrassed by it that's uh, the way we need to look at it now I will tell you this age doesn't always bring wisdom it brings experience <laughs> but I have known a few older guys that weren't all that wise hallelujah um, but if we'll let it, let it, experience will bring wisdom. We'll learn from it. Praise God. All right, I don't know why I'm saying all that, but we are continuing on in this series, Living in Truth. This is our lesson on temptation. This is part three of this lesson on temptation. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands. 
Let's ask the Lord to help us today. Let's talk to Him together, everybody. Let's love him together one more time, everybody. Let's love the Lord together. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, that's it. Let's praise him. I feel his presence here. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Allow me to do a review, hopefully a brief review. Um, but we began this particular lesson on the subject of temptation by stating a fact that for many of you may seem, uh, it may seem redundant for me to even say it, may seem unnecessary, but but especially to those that are new, they need to, to recognize that temptation is simply a fact of life. It's something that comes to everybody. And, uh, and many times, especially with new converts, they will feel temptation. They will, they will feel some tug towards something they know is not right. And then the devil will condemn them uh, for even having been tempted. Or having had the thought that he put in their minds. And, and I want to assure everybody that temptation is first and foremost just a fact of life. We are born into this world sinners. And we have a sinful nature from birth. It's, it's who we are. It's what we are. It, it simply is a part of the human condition. And that doesn't stop just because you're born again. Temptation doesn't leave you alone just because you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Temptation is still there. And so that leads us to the second point that you need to know and understand. And that's that temptation is not a sin. To be tempted is not a sin. Every Christian faces some kind of temptation at one moment or another. Everybody, every Christian is going to feel temptation. And the temptation itself is not a sin. We know this because the Bible tells us that even Christ was tempted, yet he was tempted without sin. The temptation is not a sin. It's yielding to that temptation. It's giving in to that temptation that becomes a sin. 
Amen. Now, we offered a definition of the word temptation, and then we took you to the book of James. James describes the process uh, of temptation and where it leads, and really, from what James says, we derived this definition, that temptation is simply our carnal desires compelling us to do wrong. It's our carnal desires compelling us to do wrong. And, and I do want you to note that not every temptation is from the devil. Some temptations are just from our flesh. Well, you can cast devils out. You can't cast the flesh out. You've got to crucify the flesh. Hallelujah. I've... Uh, Dealt with a few situations where I've said, you know, I know I can cast the devil out of that person, but I wish I could cast the person out of that devil. <laughs> Seemed like there was more devil there than there was person. <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you that crucifying the flesh is a much bigger battle than casting out the devil. It's harder for us to bring our flesh under subjection than it is for us to defeat the enemy. Because we are born with, these, with, these, with this carnal nature that leads us to wrong. And, and we, until we are born again, we, we've just created the habit of giving in to whatever our flesh desires. And we've learned to live that way. And if you've ever tried to break a habit, you know it's not that easy. And these really are habits, just giving into the flesh. And we have to be aware that that giving into the flesh is contrary to what God wants for us. And so we've got to learn to deal with that. And that's what this lesson really is all about, is trying to help you know how to deal with temptation. As I've pointed out to you, the real battle against temptation is either going to be won or lost in your mind. You will become whatever you allow your mind to dwell on. You sit and think about something long enough, you're going to end up giving in to that. And this is why we've got to do what the scripture says and gird up the loins of our mind. We've got to take control of our thought processes. We've got to do something about where our mind is taking us. In fact, another scripture tells us to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Look, this is something active. This is not something passive. When, when these thoughts start going through our mind, we've got to get control of them. We've got to cast them down. We, we don't just sit and think about it. Again, we can't stop every thought from coming into our mind. But we don't have to dwell on those thoughts. Because the more you dwell on them, 
the more likely you are to give in to them. And the more they actually end up affecting your character. Praise God. In, in its most basic sense, every temptation begins with a thought. And that's why I say if you can get control of your thoughts, you can take control over temptation. But you've got to get control of your thoughts. Well, hallelujah. You will become what you allow your mind to dwell on. And so we've got to recognize temptation for what it is. We've got to realize when we're being tempted that this is temptation. That may sound very simplistic, but the fact is sometimes we don't really realize it's a temptation. You know, somebody walking in front of us and drops a $100 bill and, and uh, we think, well, God just blessed me. No. No, that's not a blessing. That's a temptation. You got to recognize that's a temptation. And I know that, you know, that may be, that may be kind of a far-fetched illustration, but I'm telling you so many times when, when temptation presents itself, it doesn't present itself as this is going to be a sin if you do this. It sounds logical. It sounds reasonable. You think it's going to make you happy. Because it's what your flesh desires. And so the first thing you've got to do is recognize whether something is a temptation or not. Is this going to lead me in the right direction? Is this going to draw me closer to God or pull me farther away from God? Is this a violation of some principle in God's word? Well, hallelujah. Recognize temptation for what it is. And as long as you resist that temptation, you haven't sinned. Now, we, we pointed out to you in a previous uh, part of this lesson that, that temptation can actually become a blessing. James told us to count it all joy when we fall into temptation. And, and so we talked about how can you be joyful about the fact that you're being tempted? Well, well, the answer to that is that you recognize that out of this temptation, I have the opportunity to develop a Christ-like character. I have an opportunity to grow stronger by overcoming this temptation. It, it helps me to develop my spiritual man as I battle against this. The fight makes me stronger. Praise God. And if we will look at temptation as the opportunity to change us into someone better, then we can count it all joy. And, and we talked about, you know, there's, there's two things that we've got to have in order for temptation to be a blessing to us. And one is a love for God. 
the, the old scripture, we spent a lot of time on this last week, but the old scripture that gets quoted a lot, uh, many times it doesn't, uh, only part of it gets quoted, but, but Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 uh, tells us that all things work together for good. Now that's where a lot of people stop, but that's not the end of the verse. He doesn't say all things work together for good for everybody. But it works together for good to them that love God, number one. So the Bible doesn't promise that everything that happens is going to work for a sinner's good. But if you love God, that's the first criteria. And then the second is them that are called according to His purpose. Now, what is his purpose? Well, when you go on and read verse 29, you find out that God's purpose is that you become conformed to the image of his son. That's the purpose of God. And so God's plan is that you be changed from the carnal creature that you are to a spiritual creature. That you take on the image of Jesus Christ. That you be conformed to his image. But listen, this is, why, this is why I said a while ago, and I'm not, I'm not trying to throw stones at other people, but it's just an absolute fact that so much of today's Christianity has veered off course. Because they are literally instilling it in people that you can live any way you want to. You can do anything you want to. God's just going to keep on loving you and everything's going to be all right. And you're going to go to heaven. Don't worry about it. You couldn't be lost if you wanted to. And they may not say those words, but that's really what they're teaching. When they teach once saved, always saved, then they're saying you can't be lost if you want to be lost. Go do what you want to do. But listen, the purpose of God is not just to keep you out of hell. God wants to change you into His image. He wants to make you more like Him. And so to do that, He's got to knock off some rough edges. He's got to, he's got to help us overcome some carnal desires. And we've got to learn to love spiritual things and hate worldly things. We've got to love what God loves and hate what God hates. This is what's required in our lives. This is what God's trying to do in your life. He doesn't want you to keep being what you've always been. It's not just so you can say, well, I've got Jesus in my heart, and you just keep on being the same old person. That's not the plan of God. He wants you to be a new creation in Him. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. He wants to change you to be more like Him. He wants you to think like He thinks. He wants you to respond the way he would respond. And, and I would say this, maybe another lesson for another day, but there is a difference between a response and a reaction. And so much of what we do as human beings is reaction, not response. 
response really requires some planning, some forethought in order to respond. You got to kind of think things through and not just react. React is just kind of off the cuff, you know. It's, it's a, I mean, there, there, are, there are reflexive reactions. At the moment you're prodded here, this is what comes out. Right? You, you know the old, the old test they used to give in the doctor's office. Cross your legs. They'd hit you right below the kneecap, you know, and watch you. Make sure your reflexes are working right. Some of you may be too young to remember all of that, but. Uh, make sure your reflexes were working right. And we, we've got, you know, so we, we've got some human reflexes sometimes. Somebody cuts us off in traffic and... Somebody says something we don't like and there's just a reflex. There's a reaction. Somebody mistreats you and there's a reaction. But that's not the way God is. You understand? God doesn't just react. I'm glad he doesn't. And you should be too. Because if God just reacted, I doubt any of us would be here today. He'd have zapped us a long time ago. I said us, myself included. God would have just sent a lightning bolt and fried us and forget it. If God reacted the way we humans react. But he doesn't. God responds. And sometimes it takes a while to form a response. Well, praise God. Um, I know I'm supposed to be reviewing. I'm... I'm actually going to be dealing with this a little bit as we get into later lessons. So I'm really laying a foundation for where I'm going in a few moments as well as reviewing. But it is important that we start learning to respond the way God would respond. This is what He's trying to do in our lives. He wants to make us more like Him. And listen, it's only when we, number one, love God, and number two, are called according to that purpose, which is to be conformed to His image. That's when all things work together for good. That's when all things work together for good. So you can't just say that everything that happens in my life, God's going to make it good. Because that's not what the Scripture says. And I'm telling you, if something happens to us and we respond or we react badly, we can't then stand around and say, God, you promised to make this good. We can mess things up. And again, I said we. I didn't say you. I said we. We can mess things up. And we can mess them up royally. We fly off the handle. We speak before we think. Well, we got short fuses with hot tempers. 
Well, I'm glad God's not that way. I'm glad he's not that way. And you know what? He doesn't want us to be that way. He wants us to be, this is what the Bible says, slow to wrath. I'm letting that sink in. Slow to wrath. It ought to take a while. And even then, you know, we've got to be angry and sin not. That's what the Bible says. Be angry and sin not. So just getting angry is not necessarily sin. Again, it's, it's how we either respond or react. Just because somebody makes you mad doesn't mean you got to give them a piece of your mind. Just because somebody does you wrong doesn't mean you've got to tell them off. Doesn't mean you've got to treat them wrong. In fact, does anybody even remember the golden rule anymore? You know, for some of us, we seem to think that it is do unto others as they have done unto you. Whatever they did to me, I'm going to do it to them. That's not what Jesus taught us. The Bible says to love your enemies. To pray for those that despitefully use you. Not get even. In fact, he said, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is one of the few things that God claims sole ownership of. There are not a lot of things. Most things that God created, He allows us to take possession. But there are a few things that God claims as His own sole unique possession. They belong to Him and we've got no business touching them. One of those things is vengeance. That's God's. And so it's not up to us to pay somebody back for what they did. I'm going to make them suffer for what they did to me. No. That's not the Christian way. All right, I've got to move on this morning, but, but the real blessing of it all comes when you realize that God is making you a better person through this. Now, God doesn't tempt any man. The Bible's very clear. God doesn't send the temptation, but He does allow it. He allows the temptation. And in fact, the Bible teaches us that, that He will never allow you to be tempted above that you are able. And so God knows where your limitation is. He knows your breaking point. He's already measured you. He knows exactly where that line of demarcation is. If they go beyond this, they, 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 they don't have it in them to resist. 
And he promised he would never let temptation. Now, now again, don't, don't misquote the scriptures. He doesn't say that he won't give us more than we can bear. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he won't allow the temptation to be more than we can bear. That's what he says. So God knows your breaking point. God knows where that line is, and God will never let you be faced with a temptation that you cannot overcome. He will, with the temptation, make a way to escape. He may let it get right up to the line. I mean, you're... Your, your, the tips of your toes may be on the chalk mark. You're right there. But he won't let you cross it without making a way for you to get out of it. Now, let me, and, and because we're dealing with temptation, so let me throw this out. I don't think I cover this anywhere else in my notes. But I do want to tell you this. God doesn't tempt us, but it is possible for us to tempt God. When Jesus was tempted, one of the things he said to the devil is, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, when did he say that? At what point did he say that? Do you know know what temptation it was that he was facing when that was his response? Yeah, he was at the pinnacle of the temple, and the the devil said, The scriptures declare that he'll give his angels charge over you. And that they will catch you if you dash your foot against a stone. So just throw yourself off this temple and let the angels catch you. And all the world will know that you really are the Christ. Throw yourself off the temple and let God catch you. And Jesus responded, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So you see, what tempting God is, is when we create a situation that we expect God to get us out of. I've said this before, but you can create more debt than what God's willing to pay for. Oh, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. I understand all of that. But I'm going to tell you, God is not obligated. To keep you living a life of luxury. That's not God's obligation. And you go out here and take on a bunch of debt. It's not God's responsibility to pay it all off. That's kind of like throwing yourself off the temple and say, okay, God, catch me. Right? I don't see any difference there. Now, sometimes we can't help it. Sometimes we find ourselves unemployed unexpectedly. We find ourselves in situations that we weren't counting on. Sickness, hospital bills, all kinds of things happen to us that we weren't counting on. And I'm telling you, in those kinds of situations, I've gone to God and watched Him provide miraculously. I can trust Him to provide when I've got a need and I'm not just throwing myself off the temple. And that's not saying God won't do it. I'm saying God's not obligated to do it. Because I'll be honest with you, there have been times in my younger years that I created some debt 
finally wised up one day and said, God, you got to help me. Repented of my foolishness. And God had mercy. So I'm not saying he won't. I'm saying he's not obligated to. You understand the difference? Well, we're talking about temptation. So I'm trying to help you here today. I'm trying to help you to understand what God wants for your life is he wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. And the only way that's going to happen, we're going to have to face some temptations. I had a teacher in, 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 in uh, Bible college that, that he, he, I'll never forget him teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. He said, I'm going to tell you how you produce the fruit of the Spirit. He said, love, you want to know how to produce love? You're going to have to experience hatred. That's the only way you're really going to be able to produce love in your life. You want peace? You're going to have to go through some turmoil. It's the only way you'll produce any peace. Now, we don't want it that way. Right? Fill my way every day with love. And by that we mean God just let everybody love me. And then I'll love them back. But that doesn't produce the character of Christ, does it? Because when he was on the cross, he was praying for forgiveness for the very ones that put him there. Now that's the kind of love that God wants to produce in our hearts. That even when people are crucifying us, maybe not physically, but maybe they're doing it verbally. Maybe they're slandering our character. Oh, I'm really doing some meddling here this morning. But it's in that time of crucifixion, we've got to learn to be able to say, Father, forgive them. That's not easy. And it's certainly not natural. It takes a lot of prayer to get to that point and to mean it. Which, Lord, I, I've, I've got so much ground to cover yet today. But, but listen, let me, let me just throw this out there. While we're dealing with producing the character of Christ in your life, you know, I understand there are people that are difficult to get along with. Thank you. I got one honest soul here. There are some people that are just hard to get along with. There are some people that our personalities just clash. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. If it be possible, as much as is in you, he said. Sounds like Paul kind of encountered some of those folks too. Paul kind of knew. There's some folks I just have a tough time with. But let me tell you something else. That, in fact, that same instructor 
I remember him teaching us. He said, I'm going to tell you, it's hard for you to hate something you invest in. When you've got an investment there, then you care about it. So he said, you want to know the best way for you to be able to love your enemy? Invest in them. Do something to involve yourself in their life in some way that it's costing you. Do something good for them. Spend some time praying for them. Take a day and fast for them. I'm talking about the people you can't get along with. Rather than running them down, rather than calling two or three other people to get them on your side to turn them against this person, that's the carnal way. That's the human way. We like that sympathy. You know, somebody does us wrong. We like that sympathy. We like it when other people say, man, they shouldn't have treated you that way. You poor thing. You shouldn't have had, you shouldn't have had to deal with it. We really like to hear those words, don't we? It's human nature. But I'm going to tell you what needs to happen is instead of spending time telling everybody else how wrong they did us, we ought to take a day and fast for them. Take some time and pray for them. Find out what needs they have in their life. Spend time praying for them. And I'm going to tell you, the more you invest in them, the harder it's going to be for you to hate them. And that's when you're actually going to start being happy when you see them blessed. Well, now when I say praying for them, I don't mean you're praying, God, zap them. God, let them break their leg. Don't be, like, don't be like the sons of thunder. Can we call down fire on these guys? That's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I'm saying pray for their good. Pray for God to bless them. Maybe there's some sickness that they're having to deal with. Maybe there's something going on in their home that you're not even aware of. It's causing them to react. And you're just catching the brunt of it. It's not even against you. It's just they're dealing with so much and you just happen to be there and you caught it all. I'm not justifying them, but I'm telling you, you don't know what's going on. And maybe if you prayed for God to give them peace in their home or God to bless them on their job or God to meet their financial needs, Maybe if things were going better for them, they might start treating you better. All right. I'm doing a lot of meddling today. That's what Sunday morning Bible class is all about. This is to help us to become more like Christ. This is not the time for us to go over the latest 
headlines. Talk about the latest fads coming out of Hollywood. That, that, we're, we're not going to show you the Barbie movie around here. We're, we're not. That, that's not what's going to go on around here. We're going to talk about the Word of God. This is Bible class. All right, I gotta, I gotta move on. So we started last week. We started talking about four steps to overcoming temptation, and I made it through the first two, and that's as far as we got. And uh, I'm gonna do my best to get through the last two this morning. And then I've got, I want to talk to you about what happens if you do fall. What happens if you do succumb to temptation, and and how do you get back up? I, I, I want to try to deal with that. I want to try to get through that today if we have time. But we'll see, see how it works out. But we we went through two. Uh, things We talked about four steps to overcoming temptation. And the first one was that, that, that we need to know, we need to recognize that every Christian experiences this battle. It's a battle between the flesh and the spirit and every Christian has this same battle. That, that's number one. Just recognize that fact. Recognize you're not alone in being tempted. Alright, because again, the devil wants to just, he wants to put condemnation on you the moment temptation comes. And for many, many people, that's where they give up. And so you're never going to overcome temptation until you recognize, look, everybody's fighting this battle. In fact, you know, this is one thing I've tried to tell the church many times, many times, problems come in waves. And, and, and I... You don't recognize as an individual. I, as a pastor, see it because I know who all calls me, texts me, sits in my office, confides in me. But it's amazing the fact that many times one person is really going through a major ordeal and they think they're the only person facing this. But, but I've often seen it's not just one person. But it seems like when there, when there is something going on, the devil sends it in waves. And it hits several people within the same congregation. That I'm not talking about small things, but I'm talking about several people will go through major problems at the same time. And so, number one, just recognize you're not alone in this. You're not the only person going through it. I was talking to someone last night at Old Settlers, and they said, they said, well, I just, you know, I watch you people, and, 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 and I've tried, and I've failed so many times, but I watch you people, and, and, and you all are just so happy, and you make it look so easy. You know, it seems like you just, you just receive the Holy Ghost, and you just, you just go, and you live for God from then on, and it just never happened. No, 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 I said, you don't understand. It may look that way from the outside, but you have no idea the struggle Every day. But the difference is we just keep getting up. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to keep getting up. You, you, the, the problem that you've had is that you falter, you fail, and you think it's over. So you quit trying. And we'll deal with that. We'll, we'll get to that. But, but, but look. Understand, first of all, there is a battle between the flesh and the spirit, and that's what's going on. So recognize that. Number two, recognize that whenever the flesh speaks, so does the spirit. 
Now, we dealt with this last week. Whenever the flesh speaks, so does the Spirit. There is always, always that still small voice when temptation comes that will speak to you, that will guide you. He promised he'd make a way to escape. He promised he'd make a way to escape. And so I'm telling you that whenever the flesh starts screaming at you, and here's the problem. We said this last week. The problem is the flesh screams. It's loud. It gets your attention. But the Spirit speaks in a still, small voice. And what you've got to learn to do is to sort through all the noise and find the voice of God. What is God telling me to do right now? I know what my flesh wants to do. That's clear. I know how my flesh wants to react. I don't even have to think about that. I don't even have to give consideration. I know what my flesh would like to do right now. But what does the Spirit want me to do? How would the Spirit have me to respond to this? I'm telling you that spiritual voice is there. And that's what is meant by being led by the Spirit. It's simply learning to listen for the Spirit's voice. Whenever it's time to make a decision, listen for the Spirit's voice. Let the Spirit lead. Let the Spirit give you the direction that you need. All right, so let's, I've spent all this time and just now through reviewing. So let's, let's take a little bit of time and see if we can cover some new ground here this morning. So number three, step number three is learn to use the method Jesus used. Now, I touched on this a while ago. Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And we actually have three examples in Scripture of him being tempted. Really more than that, but one particular setting that lists three. I can promise you that while he was on the cross, there was plenty of temptation there as well. He was being tempted. Why don't you call 10,000 angels? He was being tempted. If you're really the Son of God, come down from there. There, There's temptation there. And I'm telling you that his flesh wanted to do it. I can promise you his flesh wanted to do it. So there was temptation there. But learn to use the method Jesus used. What method did he use? How did he deal with temptation? He quoted Scripture. He used the Word of God. Let's look at it. Here's three examples. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. It is written, man shall wait, not Wait, wait, wait. You skipped over it. But, but he, he answered, answered and, and said, said. Yeah. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So, he answered. He answered. And that's important that we understand. This is a response. The devil's tempting him, and he gives a response, and his response is, it is 
written. That's his response. And then he gives a scripture that deals with the temptation he's facing. The temptation is you're on a fast. Turn these stones into bread. Break your fast. That's the temptation. And so Jesus deals with the temptation by quoting scripture. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So he gives a specific scripture that deals with the temptation he's facing. Matthew 4, 7, we dealt with this a, a moment ago, but let's read it. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Yeah, and, and, and again, this was a scripture dealing specifically with the temptation presented, with him, presented to him. Throw yourself off the temple. No, no, no. That's tempting God, and here's why I won't do it. And then the third one, Matthew 4 and verse 10. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. It is written. Thou shalt worship. Thou shalt worship the Lord, the thy, Lord God, thy God, and him, and him only. Only shalt, shalt thou, thou serve. serve. Now, what was this temptation? The devil said, "Bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth." And so, what did Jesus do? He used scripture that was specific for the temptation. Now, in case you haven't figured this out, this is going to require some work. Do you think it helps you to understand a little better why Paul said, study to show thyself approved unto God? Study to show thyself approved unto God? How do we find God's approval? We're going to have to overcome temptation to find God's approval. And how can we be approved unto God? Through study. You see, we're going to have to know the Scripture in order to be able to use the Scripture. If we don't ever read the Bible except when we come to church and then it's just strictly off the wall, I, I, I'm telling you, you're not going to be able to overcome temptation. You're going to need to know this book. You've got to study this book. Saints of God, this is why I have, I have tried my best to stress to you through the years don't just take what I tell you. You go home and read it for yourself. You go home and study it for yourself. Praise God. See, the, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Read for me Ephesians 6 and verse number 17. And take the helmet of salvation... And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is our sword. Amen. Listen to me. The devil is not afraid of any man in his humanity. The devil is not afraid of any human being's word. All our threats and our boasts are in vain. And we can sing songs about putting the devil under our feet. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
Jesus. But it's it's the sword of the Spirit that puts the devil to flight. Hallelujah. It is the sword of the Spirit that puts Satan on the defensive and causes him to flee. And I, I can tell you that if Jesus as a man found it necessary to use the scripture to resist temptation, then we're going to find it even more necessary. We're going to find it even more needful than what he did. He was the living word of God. And yet the way he fought the devil was by quoting the written word of God. So why do we think we're going to be able to do it by just saying, get behind me, devil. Listen, for some of us, and, and I don't mean this in a, in, a, in a bad way, but for some of us, making statements like that is no more effective than the seven sons of Sceva. When, when, when they said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preacheth, come out of him. And those spirits attacked those men. They, they didn't have power over the devil. And, and if we're just trying to use our own words, and this is what these men were doing, they were quoting the words of Paul. They were just trying to use human ability. The devil's not afraid of human words or human wisdom. And I can promise you one thing, you'll never be able to outsmart him with your own logic. He's been at this a lot longer than you have. I know that's no great revelation, but something I think we forget sometimes. We think, well, I'm going to pull one over on the devil. Oh, no, you're not. I'm, I'm telling you that we've got to learn the Word of God, and we've got to be able to use it. And so, listen to me. Child of God... It, it is wise to be forearmed. Remember me talking about reaction versus response. Response requires forethought. So you know what you ought to do? If, if you really believe everything I've been teaching in these lessons, you believe, number one, you are going to face temptation. All right? If temptation's coming, what am I going to do with it when it comes? I'm not going to wait until it hits and then try to figure out my plan of action. I'm going to devise a plan right now while I'm not being tempted. This is when I've got to get my plan and I've got to get everything in order so that I can put the plan into place when temptation does come. If we'll study the scripture, then we'll be able to boldly proclaim like Jesus did, it is written. So we're back to this person dropping a $100 bill in front of us. Oh, I've been blessed by God. No, you're being tempted right now. 
So you know how you deal with that temptation? It is written. Thou shalt not steal. It's all that, that devil, you, you got to know. Thou shalt not steal. There's scripture there. There's something that deals with this. There's a verse of scripture that addresses this. And I know enough about the word of God that I can pull that scripture. And listen, if you'll study the scripture, I promise you, Jesus said he would bring all things to, his, to your remembrance, whatever he said to you. But he can only do that if it's in your remembrance. So you got to study the scripture, but if you'll study it, if you'll read it, if you'll spend time in the book, then when temptation comes, God can bring to your mind the right scripture. This is where that voice of the Spirit can speak to you. God can put some scripture in your mind. And then you use that scripture to start fighting temptation. Well, praise God. Let, let, let me show you something. I, I don't have this in the list, but, but, but Brother Josh, if you'd put Romans chapter 6, and, and uh, you can just start with verse 1. But I, I want to show you something, and this is something that if, if you are taking notes or if you're going to listen later, come back, uh, go to the website and, and listen to it there, and you want to take notes off of that. Let me, let me encourage you. This is one way to do this. That this would really be helpful if you're struggling, especially you're struggling with one particular thing. If there's one thing that just is a real temptation to you, you've got a real problem with this. And you know it. You know this is a weakness in your life. Then, then make plans right now that when temptation comes, here's what I'm going to do. And you take Romans chapter 6 and you personalize it. Now, if you can memorize it, that's great. But I know it's not always that easy to do. Of course, you, you can do it. Amen. If you decide to do it, you can do it. And, and, and if you're really serious about overcoming temptation, wouldn't it be worth it to put forth some extra effort to know that when temptation comes, I've got a way to escape? Look, when the Bible says God will provide a way to escape, that doesn't necessarily mean He's going to create some miraculous something. The way to escape may be that He's going to bring something to your mind that you've read in His Word. And that's the way He wants you to escape it. So you take something like Romans chapter 6 and you personalize it. What shall I say then? Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, again, let's personalize this. So whatever your besetting sin is, let's, let's, I'm trying to think of something that, so nobody will say, well, preacher, you were just trying to get on me with this. <laughs> but I can't hardly think of something that somebody somewhere is not dealing with. Well, let's just, let's just throw gossip in there, all right? Let's just, let's just use gossip. So, what shall I say then? Shall I continue to gossip that grace may abound? Give me verse 2. God forbid. How can I, who is dead to sin, live any longer, dead to gossip, live any longer therein? 
Don't I know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of God the Father, even so I also should walk in newness of life. Right? let's, Let's read on. For if I have been planted together in the likeness of his death, I shall also be raised, uh, I, shall also, I shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that my old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin or the body of gossip might be destroyed, that henceforth I should not serve gossip. You see what I'm doing? I could go through this whole chapter. But you're just personalizing whatever it is you're struggling with. Instead of just reading it like it's some distant philosophy somewhere, put yourself there. This is what I'm battling. This is what I'm struggling. This is what I'm trying to overcome. And so I'm going to use this. Amen. Amen. Glory. That's good, Pastor. And, And you could just go through this entire chapter he that is dead is freed from gossip. Yes. If we be dead, if I am dead with Christ, I believe I shall also live with him. Yeah, make it personal. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over me. For in that he died, he died unto gossip once. But in that I live, I live unto God. Likewise, I reckon myself to be dead indeed to gossip, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I will not let gossip therefore reign in my mortal body that I should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither will I yield my members as instruments of unrighteousness unto gossip, but I'll yield myself unto God as as someone who is alive from the dead and my members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For gossip shall not have dominion over me, for I am not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall I gossip because I'm not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. forbid. Don't I know that to whom I yield myself servant to obey, his servants I am to whom I obey, whether of gossip unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, and on and on. We, we, could, just, we could go through this whole thing. But I, I'm just trying to drive the point home. Whatever you're dealing with, learn the Scripture. Study the Scripture. Apply the Scripture. Use the Scripture. And there are other passages that can be personalized in this same way. You're not adding to or taking from the Scripture to do this. You're making it your own. You're buying the truth. And when you memorize and you quote this aloud, or even if you read it aloud, I'm telling you, the Scripture, uh, when when it comes uh, against temptation, you will be victorious. For one thing, it gets your mind off of that, whatever it is you're being tempted to do. And all of a sudden, you're making your... It it takes concentration, as you saw. It takes concentration to put yourself in this. To think about what you're doing. And that temptation, whatever it is, man, it's eating at you. It's eating at you. You want to do this so bad. You want to do this so bad. It's really working on you right now. Okay, well, get your Bible down and start doing this. By the time you get through Romans chapter 6, that temptation is gone. 
And number four, number three is use the method Jesus used. Number four, avoid the things that tempt you. Now, this, this ought to just be common sense, but some people need to be reminded of this. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Make not provision for the flesh. Make not provision for the flesh. Someone says, man, I just, I struggle with cigarettes. Well, first of all, don't buy them. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> of course, some people quit buying them, then they go bum them off everybody else. But, but this, look, I, I mean, I, I can take that very thing and show you. All right, so you quit buying them, and then you get around other people that smoke, and then the temptation's there, and you end up asking them. So you know how to deal with that? You quit hanging around those people that smoke. See, you're making provision for your flesh by going into places where you know the temptation's going to be present. If you've got a problem with pornography, you stay away from... from Certain areas of a bookstore or even the magazine racks in the grocery stores anymore. If you know that's your problem, then you don't make provision for the flesh. You don't go certain places. You don't look at certain things. If you know that's your problem, you avoid the things that will lead you into temptation. And, and let me just say this. I said it a while ago, but I want to show you. This is not in the notes, but we'll, we'll uh, get for me Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. Let's, let's um, I, I want to show you something here that I feel like is important that every one of us recognize. All right, read. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed or compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside let every us lay aside every weight, every weight, and the sin and the sin. Now, which, everyone say the sin. The sin. Uh huh. Read. Which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, I want you to notice what he said: the sin which doth so easily beset us. Can I tell you the sin that easily besets me is not necessarily the sin that easily besets you. But it's very likely, in fact very probable, that there is some sin that becomes your, if I could use this terminology, your besetting sin. This is the one thing that is your real weakness. Maybe it's your temper. Maybe it's your mouth. Maybe it's your eyes. You know, it could be any number of things, but whatever that is, most of us have a besetting sin. Some area that is a weakness to us. May not be a weakness to anybody else, but it is to us. And so... So we need to understand, first of all, that that, that is there. 
if we recognize this is an area where I constantly fall, then mark it down. Okay, that's my besetting sin. I got to work on this. Instead of just keep falling and just say, well, that's just me. That's who I am. Okay, well, it may be who you are, but it's not who you're supposed to be. So recognize, that's my besetting sin. I got to do something about it. I'm not going to live the rest of my life with that sin. He said, lay it aside. Lay aside every weight and that sin. Lay it aside. Take action. Do something about it. Lay aside that sin. Amen. Recognize that you have a besetting sin. Recognize also temptation tends to come in cycles. Yeah. It really does. Now it may be a cycle of time. It, there are some people that are more tempted to do certain things in the evenings, in the night, when it's dark. But there are generally cycles even to temptation. It it may be a cycle of places. It may be a cycle of people. A cycle of circumstances. In other words, this, this, this temptation may be more intense during some time of the day. Or more intense when you're in a certain place. Or more intense when you're around certain people. How do you deal with that? You quit going to those places. You quit hanging with those people. Yes, sir. That's good. Listen to me. If, if, if certain people drag you down spiritually, the best thing you can do is avoid them. Yep. Now hear me. Well, I want to help them. I want, no, you didn't hear what I said then. If they drag you down, right. you're not helping them. If you walk away from an encounter with that individual feeling worse spiritually, you're not helping them. They're hurting you. And you've got to protect your spiritual nature. I'm not saying be rude. I'm not saying be hateful. But I'm saying avoid them. Don't spend time with them. If they're going to drag you down spiritually, go make friends with somebody else. Find somebody that's going to pick you up. See, I've watched this. Listen, I've pastored long enough. I know, I know. Somebody starts getting discouraged. You know what they do? They go try to find somebody else they think is discouraged. They want to pull somebody else down in the same pit with them. Somebody's not happy about something going on. They want to go find somebody else that they think is not happy. Misery loves company. That's just the way it is. But I'm telling you that if, if you being around that person has a negative impact on your spiritual walk, it's time to walk away. Well, they don't mind hurting you. And the fact is, how are you going to help them if it's dragging you down? What good are you doing them? You're not helping them. I say it again. 
if you walk away worse off, you did not help anybody. Amen. And in fact, you did them damage. Because you emboldened them to hurt somebody else. And so they'll continue their reign of terror. Until somebody just stands up, gets a backbone and says, look, I'm sorry, but this really is affecting me negatively. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to make it to heaven. I love you. I'll pray for you. But I don't want to hear any more of that. Of course, you know, I've said for years, Brother Hall, I've, I've been teaching. I've, I've got the cure for gossip. I've got the cure. I promise you it will cure it. If everybody would just follow this policy. It would put an end to it. It would absolutely end it once and for all. The moment somebody comes to you and tells you something about somebody else. You pick up your phone and you say, are you going to call the pastor and tell them this or am I? I, I'm telling you, but don't just make it a threat. If they won't call, then you start dialing. You say, well, how's that going to stop them? I'm going to tell you how it stops them. The only reason a gossip can be successful is because a gossip has listeners. When there are no listeners, they cannot gossip. So I, if they would know that every time they come to you, you're going to get your phone out, I promise you they'll quit coming to you. I promise you they will. It'll cure it. 100% it will cure it. But the reason that it doesn't work is because not everybody will do it. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, whose feelings are they hurting by telling the stuff they're telling? How many characters are you going to let them destroy? Well, and like I said, it doesn't need to be a threat. They need to actually see you making the call. They need to know you really, you're going to do this. And I promise you they will not use your ear for a garbage can ever again. It will be over and done with. And may it forever rest in peace. Well, there may be certain circumstances, you know, you, certain places that you go, you know, you feel an allurement, you go into this area, you start being tempted, then, then, then don't do it. Certain websites, you know, honestly, I've, I've never preached against all forms of social media, but I'm telling you, there are some people that don't need to be on social media. They just don't need to be on it at all. They don't. And for a number of reasons. Maybe because they're gossips. <laughs> and they're only using it to find out the latest on everybody. Yep. Maybe because it leads them to other things and other places. 
Maybe there are certain advertisements that come up and they end up clicking the links and they follow that link and they follow another one. They follow another. And they end up in places they should never be. So I'm te- if you're really serious about overcoming temptation, then you've got to learn to avoid the circumstances, the places, the people that are going to lead you into temptation. What was part of the Lord's prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Well, I'm going to tell you, sometimes you lead yourself into temptation. And you've got to learn to walk away from those things. The point is this, and I've I've got to quit. I don't don't have time. I've still got more that I want to cover. I don't have time. I wanted to get to what to do when you do make a mistake. You do fall. Next week, Lord willing. Um... But this is my point, if, if you'll come, and I'm going to try to close out here. This is, this is what I'm trying to drive home today. Don't just be reactive when it comes to temptation. Don't wait until temptation presents itself to try to figure out what you're going to do with it. Devise a plan now. Make a plan now. I'm, I'm, I'm charging you today. I am, to use King James language, I'm beseeching you, my brethren and sistren. I'm beseeching you today. I'm begging you today. If there is something you are really struggling with, make up your mind right now that I am going to set down today and devise a plan. Here's how I'm going to deal with my besetting sin. Here's my plan of action. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to find some scriptures that deal with this. I'm going to look up some scriptures, find some scriptures that deal with this particular thing. Number two, these are some places I'm going to quit going. Here's some things I'm going to quit listening to. Here's some things I'm going to quit reading. Here's some things I'm going to quit watching. These things affect me. They impact me. They drag me down. I'm going to quit. I'm going to make up my mind right now that somehow I'm overcoming this. And devise a plan. Get a plan now and then start working the plan. And I promise you, if you'll do it, you'll be successful. Doesn't mean you're never going to falter. Doesn't mean you're never going to fall. But I'm telling you, you can overcome whatever it is that is continually, consistently dragging you down. If you'll listen to your pastor this morning. I've been at this a long time. I've watched a lot of folks. Some have been successful, some have not. I've learned a lot of things. And I'm telling you, this will work. If you'll just devise a plan now. And start putting that plan into action. Don't wait until you're tempted to say, okay, how am I going to deal with this? 
Because most of the time, if that's the case, the way you're going to deal with it is whatever your flesh is demanding. And then it's a reaction and not a response. Develop a response, a godly response. And work on it. And in the end, you're going to be a stronger Christian. You're going to be a better person. Wouldn't you agree that a person that's a good Christian is a good person? Well, if you're a Christian, you will be. You can't be a good Christian and a bad person. Not possible. And so you can become more Christ-like if you'll develop a plan of response and start working on that plan. It may take you a while, may not work the first time, but you keep at it. You keep working towards it. Keep striving towards that goal. Press for the mark. Press for the mark of the prize of the high calling. And this is the high calling to take on the image of Christ. Press for that mark. Don't just say, this is who I am. I was born this way. No. You've been born again. Make plans now to change. And if you've not been born again, you can be today. You can be today. It's a good place to bring this to a close right now. If you're here today and you're not ready to meet the Lord, the Bible's very clear in what the plan of salvation is. Give me Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. preached to a crowd of people they felt conviction verse 37 when they heard this they were pricked in their heart said to Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do here's the question of the ages tell us what to do tell us how to be saved the answer comes in verse 38 Peter said unto them. Then Peter said unto them. Repent. He didn't say accept the Lord. He didn't say just believe. He didn't say confess with your mouth. He said repent. That's step number one. Recognize your sin. Ask God to forgive you of that sin. And determine in your heart with His help you're going to turn away from that sin that's what repent means repent and be baptized and be baptized every one of you every one of you not just those who want to everybody in the name be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ of Jesus Christ for the remission for the remission of sins sins. and you shall and then you shall receive the the gift. gift Of the Holy Ghost. Ghost. Verse 39. 
for the promises unto this you. This is not just for a few folks, but the promises to you. It's to your children. Your children. It's to all that are afar off. Even as many. Even as many as, as the, the Lord, Lord our, our God, God shall call. Shall call. If you're here today, it's because He called you. No man can come to Him except the Spirit draw him. And if He called you, then this same promise is to you. This promise of salvation, repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's what it means to be born again. stand this morning let's talk to the Lord right now everybody would you lift your voices if you're here today and you've never experienced this great salvation these altars are open right now